Chris Hahn here on the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. We don't just talk about progressive politics. We tell you how to win because that's what being an aggressive progressive is. Check us out every Tuesday. New episodes on Pandora, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss a week. The Aggressive Progressive Podcast with Chris Hahn. Hey, everybody, this is Cliff, and uh, I wanted to give you the lowdown on this next episode here. We thought we'd try an experiment and watch a Finding Bigfoot episode in real time and kind of talk about what went on behind the scenes and heckle each other, and you just have fun with it. It turned out pretty good, but we also realized that a lot of people out there listen in their cars or while they're doing other things and not necessarily next to a television. So for you people, what we did is we edited down our one-hour Finding Bigfoot episode episode banter into a shorter, more condensed version. And that's what you're going to be hearing right now. But if you would like to watch the episode in real time, we're going to release that as bonus material on Wednesday. So again, you can watch the actual Finding Bigfoot episode, and we restarted at the very beginning, and you can watch it along with us, with Bobo and I and special guests. Um, as you're seeing the images, Bobo and I will be heckling whatever's happening up there. You know, you get the idea. That'll be a special thing that's coming out this coming Wednesday if you want to you know, play along with us. But again, this particular episode you're about to hear is a condensed version of all of the comments and everything like that. But don't play along. Don't play the episode along with it. It'll be weird. Or maybe do because it will be weird. Either way, I hope you enjoy it. Subscribe and rate it. Five stars. and beyond. The greatest podcast. Whether you're listening or watching, remember always keep it squatchy. And now your hosts, Cliff Berkman and James Bobo Fay. Good afternoon, Bobo. How are you today? Fair to Midland. How are you, Cliff? At least that. At least that. Um, things are going pretty well, I think, for the most part. Again, I'm at the North American Bigfoot Center right now, um, and people are coming in. I mean, it's it's slowed down a little bit, of course. You know, it's not tourist season any longer. But um, people are still coming in, at least on the weekends. I'm very thankful for that. Yeah. Um, been out in the woods a few times. Started a, a long-term recording project on a witness's property. Um, our, our museum members are going to be privy to those findings. Um, so that's kind of cool. And uh, some recent sightings have been exploring. There, man, there's always something going on, man. Right on. Yeah, I went with the Bluff Creek Project. Went up and was doing final measurements for the verifying the PG film subject size. Uh, those guys have been clearing out Bluff Creek. A couple acre site now for almost 10 years, trying to determine the, uh, you know, authenticate the background items that are still there, like trees and stumps and such. And uh, I didn't actually do any of the physical work. I was more of moral support. <laughs> right, you're a supervisor. Yeah, but we got, well, I was supposed to be the stand-in guy for the Bigfoot, you know, to do that, because I did the walk back when we did it 10 years ago. So, I wanted the same the same, same guy, and but it rained, so we got rained out that Sunday, and then Danny Perez and uh, Rowdy had their uh, K100, this the old 1960s Kodak camera they used to film the PG film. They didn't, they didn't dare risk get those wet, because they're really hard to get, and they're expensive, so... 
we had a postponement and I had a doctor's appointment I couldn't miss. So I had to leave that night. But man, it was sketchy. That was one of the gnarliest drives ever coming out of. If I didn't have four wheel drive, dude, I would not be here. I would have slid off one of those I, snow and ice storm up there. That's a dangerous place. Any Anybody can get lost there. And if you're foolish about it, you're going to die. Well, Bobo, today uh, we've been also getting a lot of requests to go back and watch another episode. Apparently, people enjoy this sort of thing. We really we enjoy it, too, because I'll tell you, I mean, I don't go back and watch Finding Bigfoot episodes unless I'm with you now for the podcast. Um, and we've been getting a lot of requests for us to go back and do another earlier one. So we've dug through the archives um, on Discovery+. Plus. Uh, and, and again, Discovery Plus is that streaming service for Discovery. Um, I think it's still six bucks a month, I think. Um, so basically, if you buy a beer and tip appropriately, you've already spent that money. Um, so yeah, if you have Discovery Plus, and we're gonna, that's where we're going to be watching it. And even if you don't have Discovery Plus, we'll be talking you through the episode as we watch it. Um, so you can you know reach back into your memory banks and remember what was going on. And you can hear Bobo and I talking about what happened behind the scenes or uh, heckling ourselves on camera, um, all that sort of stuff. So this is one of those episodes today. And today we're going to be doing Fishing for Bigfoot in Oregon. That's season one, episode, I think, four, if I remember right? Yeah, four. Yeah, that we where we go investigate that uh, the Mackenzie River footage, and I think we eventually end our way, uh, find our way back to Malala um, for some uh, stuff. We get some really cool vocalizations towards the uh, end of the program here, so uh, spoiler alert, I guess. Oh, now you don't have to listen. So lucky, I just freed up an hour of all your times, by the way, because now you don't have to listen. We, you know we get vocalizations at the end of it. Dang it, Cliff, you're a spoiler. I know, I know. I just ruined everything. But maybe some of the, some, maybe some people still listen to to the rest of us for it. All right. So here's the introduction with our with our fantastic narrators. Kind of going over the scenes. It looks like we're going to Oregon this week. Oh yeah, the the BFRO led by Matt Moneymaker. Remember that, Bobs? When they still said that we were BFRO members. Yeah. Of course, we're not. Um, Matt is, of course. But the rest of us, we're, we're independent. I mean, we work with the BFRO. We've got nothing against the BFRO, but. I could speaking for myself, I just don't join groups, you know? Yeah. Any, anybody who says I'm in their group, um, yeah, I, I may help them out with something, but that, that might be a stretch really. I'm not in any groups. I don't get along well with other people, you know? Uh, this is bringing back some memories now. This is over 10 years ago now. Yeah. We filmed this in, in February, 2011, which of course is over 10 years ago. I was so stoked to go there. That was, this was a great one. And of course, um, you know, this is all first season stuff. So we're like learning the ropes at this point. We didn't have a, we may have had a format at this point because we filmed this one after, after the, the Georgia and Florida and all that stuff. I think this was the second to last one that we filmed, I believe. You're right. 1300 reported about 10 million sightings. Yeah. Yeah, that's important because, I mean, as, no matter how good of a database the BFRO is, what do you think, Bobo? They probably have 1%? No. My, for my personal, uh, from what I've seen talking to people and reading reports, it's about 1 in 400. Cause, yeah, cause I'm not sure. I'd have to go look at the BFRO database for Clackamas County, where I am right now in Oregon. And I think they have like, I don't know, 13 or 20 maybe. But gosh, in the last year and a half, um, two years, at the museum alone, we have something like 150 reports. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I've talked to, in the last 30 plus years, I've talked to over over probably 3,000 people within 50 miles of me that have had an encounter or sighting. There's that uh, video. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So now we're looking at the McKenzie footage um, where the fly fishermen were going down river in a drift boat, I believe, and they filmed a dark figure on the left-hand side of the river as they're floating by, and they thought that maybe it was a Sasquatch. Look at the young uh, Finding Bigfoot crew. Yeah, we got to get Renee on here. I reached out to her, so she should be coming on here pretty soon. Yeah, Renee, I think she would enjoy this. I don't, I don't know what we talk about with like Bigfoot and stuff. I mean, I know she'd have a lot to say with Finding Bigfoot. Moneymaker. <laughs> Short hair, no mustache. Who is that guy? He has a mustache. Yeah, I guess he's got a mustache buried in that beard. Yeah, and of course, this is at a fish ladder. Um, I guess that's the rapids um, where they filmed this thing on the McKenzie River. Um, down yeah, Mackenzie River kind of flows into the, the the Eugene area. So if you go to Eugene and hang a left, if you're heading south, and go up into the mountains, that's where this whole area is. And a ton of stuff comes out of here. Look at you, Bubs. It's hard to. <laughs> yeah, at that point of the year, man, the, that water was flowing. Yeah, a lot of people like uh, back east and stuff, where it, you know, kind of just rains and then the, the water comes up for us. Our big water is when the snow melts in the spring, early summer. Yeah. Yeah. And that's no joke, man. I mean, uh, the, the Mackenzie river has a lot of water flowing through that thing. Um, so yeah, these, these fly fishermen guys too, like from the fly shop, I forget the name of the fly shop, but, um, they're, they go down this river like daily sometimes in their guiding trips. These guys are badasses. Dude. How awesome is their job? Pretty good, man. Almost as awesome as ours. Oh, yeah, so February. Yeah, let's go whitewater rafting in February. Thanks, production company. <laughs> yeah, Chris, there he is. Chris and Matt. Yeah, Matt Sansbury. That's right. That's the name I remember. Yeah, so we're interviewing the witnesses right now, or at least the fly fishing uh, shop owners and fly fishermen, showing a little bit extra footage as of them going down cr- the, the river there. The fly, I think the fly shop still is in existence in Eugene. They should be. I mean, it was a great shop. Have you fished in McKenzie? No, I never have fished the Mackenzie. You know, it's hard to fish anywhere else when the, you know, the Sandy River's real close and the Clackamas and all these local rivers. Yeah, Renee talked about fly fishing it. Yeah, I'm not sure if she's fished that. I mean, she said she did. Okay, so yeah, the, right now the fly fishing guys are just talking to us about their observations and what they normally see when they're going down the river. And they say that they don't see a lot of people in this area. When I went over there for the recreation, I found like fire pits and well, really well-worn trails and litter and stuff. So people definitely went there. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I had actually done um, an investigation. You can read it, read about it on, the webs- on my website, not the museum website, but cliffberrickman.com. And uh, I shot a little video at the area. This is before we actually went to the site. This is um, before we filmed Finding Bigfoot. So I'd already kind of come to the conclusion that this may not be a Bigfoot. Like, we're looking at something that may not be a Bigfoot in this, in this film. And then they asked me to do the, the episode about the film. And I go, well, I've already come to my own conclusions and they they didn't seem to mind. So we got to go do it again. But I thought this was a great opportunity because I knew they were going to put us down the river in a raft where we can take photographs from the same position or real close. Because when I was there in the summer, um, I had to, I had to get out there with waiters. My friend Will got out there with waiters and we took shots as close as we could, but we couldn't get to the deep part of the water where the actual footage was taken. I was pretty stoked. I didn't have to get in the raft that day. I bet. I bet. I was I was kind of excited to get in, but that excitement did not last long. Um, shortly after I got into the raft in the full dry suit and all that other stuff, I couldn't feel anything, let alone excitement. Remember like the biggest helmet they had was like a medium large and my head was just squished? Oh, yeah. Yeah, when my, my head was, you know, I've got a big noggin, man, so my head was squeezed in there too. 
I should remember anything. Like I just remember them like having to force it on. Like it was like a struggle to get it on. And he's like, oh, I was totally in pain, uncomfortable, just hating it. Oh man, that was looking at this. It was so unpleasant to be in there. <laughs> yeah, so a lot of shots uh, going down the river there, and it was so hard to even talk at that. I mean, towards the end of the float, man, I could I could barely speak. I was so cold. You know, you get so cold, your brain freezes up. And for me, that could be like fifty degrees. <laughs> The air was like mid-20s that day, high-20s or something. Oh, yeah, I just froze. You have to do a size comparison. If you have a video if you, with you know known fixed points, you can get in there. It's so important. And if you can use the same camera, that's even better because focal point changes everything. The focal point of the lens. There's Bobo being the Bigfoot. Look at that. Perfect. Perfect again, Bobo. Stand there and look big. <laughs> <laughs> you did a fantastic job. Stand there and look like a primitive ape man. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, it was pretty sketchy. Like, Boba just asked me, of course, on camera, like, how was it holding the camera? It's like, well, I was doing the best job I could, but, but you know, like, you're in the water. You know, the last thing I wanted was to go in that water. So, and, I, and of course, I've got control issues, so I'm looking and make sure we're not going to hit any rocks and all that sort of stuff. And it was, it was gnarly. That was a, a heck of a way to start the... The, the, the fighting Bigfoot show doing sketchy stuff in the middle of winter. Yeah. Yeah. So the creature or the figure was about six, six and a half feet. Yeah. I think later uh, analysis of this footage um, showed that the thing that whatever that dark figure is, it seems to be a person wearing a hat. It's just bad lighting, it seems. So I, I'm strongly inclined to think that this is actually just a dude on the side of the river, especially after, after going there and finding there's a campsite there with a parking area. You know, you can pull off or fire pits, like you were saying. It was, I mean, it looks, you can see like he's wearing a backpack or something. Or there's a jacket line. His arms are too short. Yeah, I'm inclined to think that is not a Bigfoot. I know the fly fisherman guys, they wanted it to be one, but I don't th I don't think it is. Well, okay, Matt's saying that even though this, whether or not the figure is a Sasquatch, there are still sightings in the area, and he's absolutely correct. A ton of stuff happens up the Mackenzie River. I did a speaking event last year, and I think the year before up at McKenzie Bridge, which, and of course, that whole community got burned out last year with the fires, unfortunately. But um, yeah, it's terrible. But those, I got 10 sightings probably from doing those two jobs. It is a great area, though. I've really, I've always really liked the McKenzie. So beautiful there, man. It was pretty that night, although it was pretty cold. Yeah, so Bobo now, for the people at Homer, is, is explaining how he's had a lot of good luck in storms because uh, Sasquatches use the, the, the sound as cover to approach closely. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, Bobes? Uh, I was in the redwoods mostly. But yeah, I mean, when the, you know, the big drops coming down, especially in those trees, like two, 300 feet tall, those drops coming down get a lot of momentum and get pretty big. So you, they, you hear, then all of a sudden you hear snapping, like branches breaking. When it got heavier, like or the wind picked up and the really got loud, you'd hear him come in. And then there's that one we did in uh, Tahoe area, Sierra Nevada, where we had that raging storm. We had a we had a, uh, good calls come up to us, and then West Virginia we had calls in that storm. Yeah, I would think the Sasquatches are very aware of the sounds around them, especially since, I don't know, Bubs, if you've noticed this as well, but um, over the years, it seems to me that Sasquatches like to hang out in areas that are just deadly quiet so they can keep track of everything that's going on in the area, right? Um, so they would have to notice the opposite and realize the advantage that gives them for moving around, where they don't have to be as careful, um, remaining completely silent at all times. Especially there's like a loud river or creek, though. Definitely use that. 
There's a good cliff warming up. Yeah, my high shrieky shrill thing. I haven't heard you do that one in years. It's been a while. And of course, at this point, the show is still new and everybody was just going like, what are these idiots doing? I think there still are a lot of people. (laughs) Probably. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Sonidos of our music. Sonidos of our voices. Sonidos of our stories. Listen to the sounds and voices of Latin music and culture with Pandora stations like RMX, La Vida en Pop, El Pulso, and Satellites, and podcasts like Ruby Rosa and more. From music to stories, all that we are is in the sonidos of our culture. Listen now on Pandora. Okay, Renee, Renee saw a hot spot on the therm. Turns out to be an elk. That's what we have here. Oh, yeah. It's possible that the uh, <clears throat> sometimes they'll, the, the way they edit it, they'll keep showing like the ambiguous shot and not show the shot where you can see like it on four legs. This is kind of a dead night, though. I remember walking around out there and it was snowing and then it was raining and it was cold and there's nothing going on. It was real quiet out there at that time. Really quiet. Here we are four minutes later and people go, oh, you gave up too early. Well, forget you, man. We were out there for like four or five hours. No, we were back then we were doing at least six. Yeah, it was a long time, man. These night investigations went on sometimes when it was slow, just dragged on and on and on. I mean, yeah, in the winter times we'd get out there dark at like six thirty seven. We wouldn't come back till four or whatever. Yeah, it was a tough it was a tough gig, you know. Look at that, you can totally see that it's a total person. Yeah. I sure think it was a person. Oh, look at that lousy map they used first season. <laughs> they sure got better at that. That's really bad. Yeah, all this B-roll here, like going through the bridge and everything, that is the Mackenzie Bridge area. Uh, that went to that pizza place. Um, it w- um, Bigfoot and Brow, whatever? Yeah, Bigfoot and Bruise, I think. And he had a, he has a Bigfoot statue that's still there. In fact, it's still there today, yeah. Um, I drove by there last year at some point. Ike's Pizza, that's right. Ike's Pizza. They have a lot of Bigfoot stuff inside there. I think a handful of casts and a, a big uh, Bigfoot that I think you're going to see here in a moment on, on the screen, if I remember right. There it is. This is a good one. It ain't no Murphy, but that's a good one. That's the silhouette of the shape I saw when I had my first sighting. Just like that, Bill. Yeah, same build, like smaller head, not the giant head everyone talks about. Yeah, we're still doing all the introductions because the audience didn't know us yet. A couple seasons down the line, we didn't bother introducing anybody. Those are our best witnesses, though, the ones that showed up and didn't know who we were. <laughs> right, the early days. They weren't trying to get on TV. They just wanted to share their story. Oh, yeah, this, that, that um, Mary is that woman's name. We chose her as one of the witnesses, but yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. I, she saw a Sasquatch. Oh, uh, there's Mark. Yeah, one of the Malala guys. Have you talked to him at all? I haven't talked to him in a long time. Oh, and there's um, Ori, Ori uh, Innes, and his son Steve. I haven't talked to either of those guys in a long time either. I, th- I think Ori might have passed by now, um, but Steve's still around down there. He was down in Silverton last time I talked to him. I think you're right. Yeah, good guy. There's Rusty. Yeah, his uh, sighting was pretty fresh, which is one of the reasons we pulled him in. I don't think there was any witnesses that I went out with that I didn't like. Yeah, one of the neat things about the show is meeting so many good people. Yeah, there's that cast that Will cast uh, right after uh, um, Rusty saw that one. The Malala. Malala is a great Bigfoot spot. A lot of it got burnt out, though, um, with uh, the fires last year, the, the 2020 fires. I'm not sure how much of it is recovered. I'm not even sure if the roads are open yet. 
Yeah, see, that was important. Matt just said that it was out of the snow compared to the Mackenzie River location because Malala doesn't get a lot of snow. It's pretty low elevation. I used to go there a lot during the winter time for that very reason. You can get in there and the road's paved. That's a really nice area. You know, it's funny is Paul Gray says where he's at up in out of Wenatchee up there in the backside of Cascades, he said they stay above the snow line where he's at. Really? Yeah, see, I don't see, I don't see any reason they'd want to be in the snow. Like there, I know that what Paul's saying is, I think cover, and he has talks a lot about the cover. But man, there's so much less food. So, yeah, but Paul might be right. He knows his area well. So who am I to say? Once it gets really cold, any meat they kill is not going to spoil. Like the summer, they could have an elk kill last them weeks and weeks. That's true. But I've also heard about them struggling to eat frozen meat from New Mexico. Some of the uh, so the Navajos are telling me about that. Yeah, they said, like, yeah, they observed them um, with a frozen carcass and they couldn't really do much with it. Like a meat sickle. Here's Mary. Ma- Mary actually is a witness that I investigated her sighting the next day, I believe, after she saw it. Certainly within two days, three days maybe at the most. But um, I, uh, I got called into her report. I met her out at the scene. Um, and I know that Renee didn't think that an animal would behave like that. I think Matt had some doubts about Mary's report, too. But I was there, man. I saw the footprints in the ground. Um, I went up in and was wading through the, uh, the, the the devil's club to get to the footprints. I mean, something passed through there that left 16-inch footprints. So I, I disagree with Matt and Renee on this one strongly. Is that Chris Minier right there? Sure is. Oh, and then this report, too. Now, this is one of those TV things that kind of made me mad. Um, Rusty did not see his um, Bigfoot on the Malala. I mean, truth be told, he saw it on the Sandy River over by um, Alder Creek in that general area. A lot of reports come out of that particular area, actually, over by uh, Marmot. This wasn't the real spot? No, that is not the real spot, unfortunately. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a bum out. I talked about it back then. You probably just forgot about it. But yeah, Rusty actually saw his Sasquatch really recently. He was a great witness. He's a legit witness, but um, it was pretty recent. But it was not at this location. But we had to play it like it was, which, of course, made made me mad because I knew where the real thing was. Yeah, that didn't last long. No, no. Oh, I remember, it's a little side note. I remember that backpack, that backpack right there. Um, I actually had to give that backpack away because Sochi chewed up my friend Bob's backpack and I felt so bad I gave him my backpack. Bob the hippie? Uh, well, kind of. The Bob that works for the um, the, uh, the Watts Music Conservancy. He works at um, Flea from Red Hot Pe- the Red Hot Chili Peppers band, you know? Flea and um, Norby and all those guys from um, Fishbone, they have a music school for inner city kids and uh, Bob is the director of it. Oh, cool. Yeah, the Watts Conservancy of Music, I think is what it's called. But anyway, that's where my backpack is now. A lot of stuff comes out of where Rusty saw that Sasquatch. Tons of stuff. I love that when you see the redneck guys with their cam, all their camo on, and they got a gold chain, like hip-hop style. (laughs) Okay, so now we're back with Renee and Matt at Mary's sighting location. I think she was pretty upset, wasn't she, that she thought they didn't believe her? Yeah, she was insulted because I, I went out there and I found. She saw the footprints that I pointed. She didn't didn't know where they were, but I pointed out. Look at this! Look at this! She goes, "Oh yeah, look at that!" And um, yeah, it just ran down that hill, and she may not have had the best description. You know, maybe they thought she was shady for some reason. I think she's great, but um, I thought, look, look at him. <laughs> He's suspicious. 
Maddox is, is of course saying that uh, the the idea of this thing running down and then running along the road is they they don't do that. Well, they do that sometimes. Yeah, the bouncing. The, yeah, I mean, most locomotion descriptions of them moving is smooth with the head not bobbing. Yeah, well, I think that's a Mary issue more than anything else. I don't think it's a Sasquatch issue. I think it's a Mary issue of uh, the way she's describing it and what she remembers. And again, I, I, I was there literally within a few days of when Mary saw this. There were footprints in the ground on both sides of the road, right where she said they ran. I'm afraid in this case, Matt and Renee are wrong. Um, I'm completely confident she saw a Sasquatch because I tracked it. And again, I have a write-up on that. It's called uh, Road Crossing in Malala. Look at cliffberrickman.com under research. Check it out. See what you think. I remember Max saying, I'm sure she was partying and just hallucinated it. Yeah, I don't think so. She's driving. No, I, I, I talked to her at the meeting. I thought she was legit. Yeah. yeah and again, the footprints were in the ground that she did not find. I found them. I think I didn't know about that being not the right spot till afterwards. Yeah. Well, TV, you know, it, it, the general rules, if, it, if it's on television, don't believe it until you have a reason to believe it. If I said, don't tell Bobo, he'll flip out. <laughs> At that point, you might have. You picked up one of the producers above your head and threw him in the river or something. It came close. Oh, yeah. It came close a couple of times. But yeah, so we're we're kind of recreating the eye shine here. But again, all this stuff happened over at Alder Creek on the Sandy River. How far away were they in, in at the Alder Creek spot? Like from like is it the same distance I was from them at this recreation? Yeah, yeah, the Sandy's about the same size in both spots. The Sandy and the Malala are about the same size river in general. But of course, you know, over at that Alder Creek place, um, so many places, so many Bigfoot things happen at that location because there's a saddle that leads over into Bull Run Watershed right there. All the animals move through there. I got a report just a couple, about three weeks ago. I got a report. A woman goes in here who lives over in that area, and she saw a Sasquatch walk through her yard like at four in the morning, one morning, spitting distance from where uh, Rusty saw this thing. Man, that's when I used to wear Carhartt in, for like rain and snow and stuff. I looked back on that. I thought I was like, yeah, these guys were on Gore-Tex. What a bunch of wussies. And when I finally got a down jacket after seven years with you guys. Last two seasons out of down jacket, I was like, oh my God, what was I doing? You're, you're wearing your car. They Cards look great. They're warm and everything. But, you know, you and your fancy science with your down jackets. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The rabbit bun bun. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about We're talking about Steve and Ori Innes right now and their friend Mark. Um, and, and they had a ton of activity throughout the 90s in Malala because like a couple of them, like I'll, I'll say homeless, although that may not, houseless, although that may not be the right term because they're kind of out there. You know, they're just camping out there because they were in between places and they didn't seem to mind so much. They bought nice RVs, remember? Oh, yeah, yeah. So they're just basically camping as, as an address for a while. And at, at this time, before Malala became like a scenic river corridor, um, they had a two-week limit on where you can stay. And these guys had a, a place that is now called the Bigfoot Campsite, although the, you can't get to it now. Um, there's a bunch of giant rocks at the location stop anyone from driving in there. But it's about, I don't know, maybe a mile short of the bridge right at the base of the um, – the Table Rock Wilderness area on the right hand side, these big rocks stop you from driving in there. And like Mark would be there for two weeks and Steve would be somewhere else. Then after two weeks, when they had to move, they would just switch camps. So there was somebody occupying this location all the time. Um, and they started seeing Sasquatches and the Bigfoots didn't seem to mind for the most part. Um, they found footprints, lots of good sightings came out of there, neat vocalizations. 
really the the mid late nineties was was the heyday of the Malala Bigfoot scene because people were there all the time. There was a heyday right here this time too. Well, no one's working it. And it's all shut down. No one can get in right now. Yeah, and Ori too. Ori saw yeah, he saw some interesting things out there. Ori was oh wait. Bigfoot Files, former Oregon Governor Ted Kulingowski tried to pass a law in 1977 that would make it illegal to what? A, falsely report a Bigfoot sighting, B, harass a Bigfoot, or C, make Bigfoot howls after 10 p.m.? A. I think it's B. We'll see. B. I got it. Harass a Bigfoot. Yeah, he tried to pass a bill. It didn't pass. It didn't go through. But um, he did actually try to do that. So. Well, was it like April Fool's Day or something? I don't think so. I don't think so in this case. Maybe though it was, I don't really know. In the museum here, we're going to do something where Bigfoot and the law kind of meet, you know, so I, I need to dig that up and find out a little bit more about it. Right. But, you know, Ori there, um, the father, he actually saw a Sasquatch clapping one time. He's one of my three data points for Bigfoot's probably making or possibly making uh, knocking noises by clapping. What was that story again? He was... I can't remember. He was in a, his RV, I think, at one of these spots, probably the Bigfoot campsite, and he heard, you know, knocking at like pop, pop, like outside. And he goes, "What is that? What is that?" And like he looked out the window, and I don't maybe he didn't see anything when he looked out the window. Maybe he did. I can't remember how, the order. But then he looked out the door, and he and there was a Sasquatch squatting down. I guess near his trailer. Maybe he looked over it through the window, or maybe I'm getting the story wrong. But nonetheless, he looked out and he saw a Sasquatch squatting down and bringing his arms together, just like, like banging and then like clapping um, once every, you know, periodic piece of time. So yeah, he observed a Sasquatch clapping, making those knocking noises. Bun, bun. We had a soul connection. I was so mad when that producer sent it back to the pet store. I'm like, I told you I was going to take her home. And she sent her back, and then I went to go pick her up, and we got the day off, and they'd already sold her. Yeah, and for our people who are not watching along with us but listening, Bun Bun is the rabbit that we used. Um, we put a rabbit in a cage with glow sticks on it, trying to attract a Sasquatch in. Now, of course, the rabbit was in, not in danger. We actually got grief about this. Um, people were saying that we were being cruel to animals and all this sort of stuff, but I'm not sure that I even mean, – I think if a Sasquatch came in, maybe that would be cruel, but – Bun Bun was well taken care of. We were never more than, say, 100 yards away from Bun Bun. And really, with all the lights and everything, how's how a Bigfoot going to sneak by us and get that thing? And if it did, it'd be worth it. Bun Bun was ready to dive on that sword for science advancement. Well, aren't we all, though? Aren't we all? And, of course, Bobo took affinity to the rabbit. Bobo named it Bun Bun. Makes sense. Paul Graves has a song about it. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Okay, so it looks like the, the, the lights on the rabbit cage are being moved around a bit. Maybe Bo- Bun Bun is just shifting his weight inside the cage, or maybe something else is going on. I wasn't sure what was going on that night. Okay, so the glow sticks are moving under the cage. We're Thurman. We don't see anything in there. It was weird. So, yeah, it's just more uh, OTF stuff on the fly is what that's uh, 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 an abbreviation for. I thought we had one coming in, maybe. It's a good area. It wasn't far from there that we got vocalizations a few nights later. Oh, yeah, we got a knock. I forgot about that. No. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we're asking, did you guys do a knock? And, of course, Matt's answer was, no. He starts to do that Lenny and Squiggy from the Laverne Shirley. Hello. Yeah, he's a funny guy. Okay, yeah, so Bobo did not get to keep Bun Bun, unfortunately. Okay, yeah, so we got a hit basically that night. Uh, there might have been a Sasquatch nearby, so we came back another night. I don't know if it was the next night or what. I don't remember. It was a few nights. 
with a sound system. And then um, Matt and I went up on the ledge there. And here we are, here we are setting up our sound system here, 500 watts worth of it. And we're, uh, we actually went up Horse Creek is where we were up in the uh, Malala area and kind of circled back around so we'd have an expanse to blast down into the valley in case something's down there listening. That was a good system. I think cranked. That's what I'm going to make her fall asleep, remember? Oh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. A little foreshadowing there for you. And we're explaining the, 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 the plan right now. We're talking about doing the vocalizations, and then um, Renee and Bobo are going to hop on electric motorcycles and go piddling around. And, of course, you guys got to do that because you're the two with the motorcycle license. Nowadays, we probably just use those electric bicycles. Oh, yeah, they're awesome. Oh, they're way better than the motorcycles were. Yeah, Renee was the only licensed motorcycle person. Remember, she crashed when we were in Indo, just fully made money make her crash. Oh, oh, in Indonesia. Yeah, but uh, I thought you had a motorcycle license, Bobo. No, I lied. You just lied? Okay, perfect. I told her, well, I'd owned motorcycles and I rode them a lot, so I was comfortable riding them. But a license, forget that. Oh, no. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Yes, if people don't know, Renee's father was a semi-well-known daredevil that had one of the most insane motorcycle wrecks of all time, jumping buses or cars or something. Cars. Something. John Holland. Look it up on YouTube. John Holland. Oh, was it John Holland? Okay. Yep. Yeah, her dad was a famous motocross guy in the in the in the era of Evil Knievel, you know. He was the poor man's Evil Knievel. I suppose, yeah, the South Dakota Evil Knievel. Yeah, he took some spills over the years. I mean, he, he had a, a, a like a record or something of like one of the worst wrecks, I think. Yeah, that's the one where he jumped the cars and he wrecked like five vehicles with his body. Oh, geez. Now this is interesting. We actually weren't blasting. Didn't we? Didn't we blast Ori's thing or it didn't work? Is that right? Ori had a vocalization. And this is the Ohio howl that Matt recorded. And then it started warming up, like the clouds came in, and it started getting hot. We were walking around everywhere. I was taking off my jacket and all that, and I set the parabolic down. And Oh, no, we got a call from the network in New York saying, emergency, emergency, one of your cameras isn't working. We got all this footage with no sound on one of the cameras. And it was a camera with my team, so we had to stop, pull the tapes out, everything shut down, shut down sound. I'm, I hate to interrupt, but the vocalizations are going right now, Bobo. Okay, yeah, so the vocalizations are going off right now. You know, it's, it's funny. I was on top of the hill. Matt had sat down for a few minutes and actually fell asleep when the vocalizations were going. And Hamill was up there with us. So he he grabbed it and we filmed it and everything. So we got some reactions and everything. Uh, but yeah, we got awesome vocalizations recorded. And then, of course, we're trying to figure out where you guys were and try to triangulate and stuff and get down the hill and uh, get as close as we can to these things. We heard the best vocalizations I heard in the whole show that night, and all the all our gear was turned off for like five minutes, and that's when it happened. Well, we got it all. Luckily, actually, the, the I got the recorder, uh, I got the recording on my recorder, and you can hear it again. I, I feel like I'm plugging my website too much. Sorry, guys, but if you want to hear it, go to my website, cliffberkman.com, and look for the Horse Creek vocalizations. But it didn't sound anything like what we heard in person. No, they never do, man. The the recordings just never sound like they do with your own ears. Oh, gosh. So we're going off into the woods now, it looks like, to try to get closer to where the sounds came from. Oh, then you see this uh, warm spot on the ground. I forgot about that. Did you pee there? No. 
All right. So, yeah, you're talking about how you've seen lots of urine in the therm, Bobes. Well, so have you. That's true. That's true. But I'm telling you, looking at you in the, on these interviews, man, your hair was quite curly, Bobo. Yeah, natural. Kind of like, like you know, Lord Fauntleroy sort of like curly. That's what HMP used to do my hair for me. Heavy metal Pat? Yep. Yeah. He's my hair sensei. You definitely took some, took some time for your hair. And it paid off, I'd say, too, in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So now we're trying – I remember this. We were walking towards each other on the road for about a mile or two apart, um, trying to get one to come in close. And spoiler alert, we failed. I thought for sure we were going to get him that night. I was positive. Yeah, there were a couple times over the years I thought we were going to get him for sure on camera. You got to hit on a therm, see what's going on. Oh, that's us coming up, isn't it? Yeah. Renee was a good hiker. Oh, yeah. Well, back then, I, I actually, I could, I could go all night back then, too. And Moneymaker Maker shocks everyone because he's kind of a little bit plumper. But he can hike for all night, no problem. Okay, so this is kind of the, is this the final thing? I think it is, where we're getting together and saying, yep, we tried and didn't. If I was holding the parabolic in the right direction when it happened, we would have got the best, some of the best calls ever. Oh, look, this is audio from Cliff's digital recorder. They gave me credit for it. That's nice of them. Because those calls were way closer to us than you guys. We heard them way louder. Oh, yeah. Yeah, luck, but we had some elevation, too, so that helped us. All right, so there we go. That's the end of the episode there. Finding Bigfoot, the Oregon episode, the very, very first Oregon episode here. All right. So, yeah, but Bubba, do you have any, uh, any thoughts on the episode there? Just utter frustration. How so? That we didn't get what we, uh, we didn't get what I heard. Uh, well, you know, we have 99 more episodes to be frustrated through then. <laughs> that was the first, <laughs> that was the first of the, of the Curse of Bigfoot um, episode we had. It was the fourth one where, like, we had set the equipment down, and then sure enough, that's when the, the call happens. Oh, I, I have to say that is a completely inaccurate st- statement. I'm sorry, Bobes, for interrupt, for uh, disagreeing with you. But what about the very, very first night investigation in North Carolina when the cameras weren't running and we had a Bigfoot there? Oh, God. Okay. You're exactly right. That was... Yeah, I apologize for worse. correcting you, but yeah. That was, that, was the, that was the most egregious one of all. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but I thought it was a pretty good episode. It was a little frustrating just because I knew that we had to kind of fake the place where that encounter happened when um, Rusty's encounter did not happen on the Malala River. It happened over on the Sandy River by Alder Creek. Um, I heard this thing, too. I can't find, uh, I can't find the, the actual source. Um, and I've asked the person who told me this, and I think they're unsure, too. So this may not be true. But I have heard that Alder Creek over there on Highway 26, going up towards Mount Hood, um, on old maps, uh, it is supposedly called Ape Crossing. Now, I don't, I don't know if it's, yeah, that's what I heard, um, but I don't know if that's true or not, and I can't find the primary source at this point, you know? Um, I've asked the investigator that told me that, and he said he saw it somewhere or another, and, you know, so basically it might just be a rumor. It might just be a rumor, but certainly there's enough Sasquatch stuff in that area that it's a very, you know, possible rumor. Um, it's certainly worthy of looking into. I love hearing those old like name places name because there's there's a there's there's obviously those lists people have compiled having you know names of ape, devil, monkey, gorilla, you know, like creek, whatever, gorilla creek or ape canyon. But there's the one called in Mendocino on Branscombe Road 
Back in the 30s and 40s, the loggers called it the ape-taking station. It was a big stump where they'd put food out for the apes that would come in. Really? Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Find that find that primary source. I'd love to see that. Yeah, the guy, the drywall Mike was the guy that told told us about it because he had a crazy encounter there. Like he got this, he got scared daylights out of him. He, uh, him and his buddy were deer hunting. They camped in there. This thing he said they thought it was a demon or something because it ran so fast. It, it screamed so ungodly. And it would circle their camp at a, like faster than a horse could run by, way faster than a horse could run. But through steep, rugged terrain with you know trees and bushes and shrubs, and they could just hear everything breaking. And they said when they finally saw it, it was only like six five, six six, something like that. But four five hundred pounds, just one of those super broad ones. Wow, you know that reminded me of a story that uh, um, uh, Steve Innes, uh, a gentleman who was in this last episode we watched, um, he told me about about when he was at the Bigfoot campground alone. Because uh, he spent a lot of time there alone. He's pretty much living there for a while. Um, and I guess he had this, he was sitting in a chair and he, he saw like a little one peek out from behind the tree. And I say little one, like four or five feet, if I remember correctly. And I haven't heard this story for a long time. So I may have some of the details incorrect, but you'll get the gist. And he saw a little one pick, peek out from behind the tree and he figures, well, I'm going I'm to run at it because he hadn't done that yet. You know, I'm going to run at this thing. So he got up and kind of sprinted towards it. And then when he got to where it was, it wasn't there. And he looked around and he saw it on the other side of camp, peeking at it from behind a tree. And he spent the next, I don't know, five minutes or maybe more, maybe less, um, basically kind of playing tag or hide and go seek with this thing. And he said he never even got close to it, just completely outdistanced him, outclassed him in the woods in every single way. And he said it was it was ridiculous how amazing these things are in the woods how fast and stealthy couldn't hear it but it was somewhere else all of a sudden um pretty amazing stuff well he and he said he goes it definitely was not he said it was definitely playing with him it was toying with him like it was definitely enjoying it so he said it had a because they have pretty human-like expressions on their face often he said it, it looked like it was having fun oh you remember the story too did you did he tell you that too must yeah, be at the same yeah. time. Okay, cool, cool. I wasn't sure if that was one of our conversations on the phone or if that's something he told us in, um, while filming. So I'm glad you remembered that just to verify that. Cool. He told us off camera because then oh, Moneymaker thought he was lying. So that would not happen. You know, and it's like, yeah, it would. I've I seen Monkey play with one before. And we've got other witnesses reports the small ones playing with toys and some of them even not interacting with children playing, you know. So it's totally believable. Yeah, I don't see any reason why that isn't, you know, something that a Sasquatch would do. I mean, it's, it's unlikely because Sasquatches are unlikely, but. But all, all, all primates play, especially young ones, all mammals, really. It doesn't seem all that unreasonable to me. And, you know, uh, really, it's hard to put Sasquatches into the, um, they would or wouldn't do this sort of thing. You know, they're weird animals, man. They do all sorts of crazy stuff. Yeah, I remember that. That was, that was, that was one of my favorite, uh, Stretches of finding Bigfoot, man. When we went to Oregon and then up to uh, Washington with the wizard Randy up to uh, the Star Mountain. Yeah, Silver Star Mountain. Yeah, that's that would be the next episode. Maybe we should visit that one next. I think so. Yeah, yeah. We have. We, I don't think we've had Randy on as a guest, have we? No, we haven't. Yeah, he's not the most computer savvy guy, though. So he, that may be something that we do in person. And I think he's actually moved up in the on the peninsula now too. So. Oh, he did. I think so. Yeah. Lucky. 
Yeah, he's a good, lucky guy in a good spot. Cool, Cliff. Well, I guess that was fun. Yeah, I, I was kind of a blast from the past. Seeing like, and it's at this point I can speaking for myself again, Bobes. Um, at this point, I enjoy the Finding Bigfoots kind of a lot because I don't relate to that being me. Right. It's been so long now. It's like I'm just watching TV with these other weirdos. <laughs> oh yeah, it's because uh, at the time I was just so frustrated. Like we're not doing this. Like why are we staying in hotels? Why aren't we all sleeping outside every night recording audio 24 hours a day? Like I don't get it. And I was just so aggravated the whole time. But you look back on it now, it's like all your memories. Like oh, we had such a good time. It was beautiful. Like oh, it was cold. No biggie. But at the time, you're like I've been cold for a week, wet for a week. This sucks. You know. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed uh, going back into the archives with us today and watching that uh, Finding Bigfoot episode from Oregon from the first season. Um, And, you know, tell us what you like. If you like this sort of thing, write to us. Go to BigfootAndBeyondPodcast.com, hit that contact button, and give us some feedback. What do you like? What do you not like? Um, Although, go easy on us on that one. We're doing the best we can for you. Um, And, of course, we also do the Q&A episodes about once a month or so. If you have a question for Bobo and I about about any of the episodes, the Oregon one or any of the other ones that you've seen, again, BigfootAndBeyondPodcast.com, hit that contact button, and then ask us whatever you want. If there's a certain guest you think would be fantastic, ask us. Talk to us. Um, we're we're accessible, in other words. We're here for you. We're having fun doing this, and we want you to be involved somehow. So um, don't be a stranger. Reach out to us. And, of course, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and anywhere else that you enjoy doing social media stuff. So all that stuff exists, too. Yep. And don't forget our T-shirts at SasquatchPrince.com. Support the show if you can. We'd appreciate that. I guess that's about it. Uh, huh, Cliff? I think so, Bobes. I guess I'll, uh, we'll have to put this away for a week and uh, come back then and see what else has been new. Cool. Right on, folks. Well, thanks for watching and listening with us, sending those comments. And until next week, keep it squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 